On today's episode, I'm joined by my good friend Chuck Wilson, and we discuss tacos, music, and much more. Also, we discuss the TikTok trend called the NyQuil Chicken Challenge. You heard that right. We'll talk about that and much more on today's episode of Talks with Josh. Let's get into it. It's good to be back with you all today. It has been a while. It's nearly Christmas, and uh, I'm excited today. I'm joined by a very good friend, uh, Mr. Chuck Wilson. What's up? Hey, he's <laughs> with us here in the studio. We're going to have some fun talking about all kinds of yep. uh, things, including music and tacos and worship and all kinds of good stuff. So, uh, yeah. It's going to be a good one. It's a little delayed. And thanks to Hurricane Ian, we were supposed to do this in September. We were. We yeah. were. Uh, a lot happened. Yeah. Uh, a lot happened with you uh, as well, just through that, with your with your house and everything like that. Well, so. you know, it's, it's very romantic when you're able to lay in bed and you look up at the ceiling and there's the blue glow from the tarp that's over your roof that's covering the hole and, and your wife, you know, the sheet rocks down and you get the little pink insulation fluffs floating through the air like snow it's it's just a romantic atmosphere to have in your master bedroom so it's snowing down there then yeah yeah it's it's pink though i'm not sure if, you know maybe it's nuclear waste i don't know <laughs> oh man wow. i gotta laugh at this point i gotta laugh about let's, it let's you know to, yeah it's good you're laughing though yeah <laughs> well good well yeah it's good to be yes sir good to be here and we're gonna have fun so uh, I just wanted to just share a little bit about your what you do, your ministry, and okay. all of that. Um, from that first? Well, I, I operate um, what's uh, globalprovision.org, mm-hmm. and um, I, that's the website and also the name of the group, um, globalprovision.org. Um, we operate uh, predominantly in Haiti. And uh, work in a mission field down there. Mm-hmm. Um, we do a number of things. I, I work with other people as well. We oversee. I think we have eighty nine churches now, wow. and about one hundred and forty ministers um, in, in our fellowship down in Haiti, um, which is very beneficial for when things happen, like the earthquake last year. Mm-hmm. We were able to buy bulk food, you know, rice, water, whatever, and having the connection with the churches makes a great. Uh, outlet to be able to help people and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, our big project that we're working on, uh, we were working on this year um, until Chuck uh, got COVID in July and then the hurricane hit about the time I was getting over with that. But mm. um, this coming year, um, Lord willing, and it's all the energy I'm going to put into it, uh, we hope to have a medical clinic started. It's awesome. We have a doctor lined up. Um who's uh wanting to work with us um he has a staff in place and um uh we have a building uh you know haiti's a very rough situation at the moment um they're in political turmoil they haven't had a government for 
um, you know, almost two years. Um, I guess you could say the same about America, but uh, anyhow, it's another topic. Another topic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that one alone. Uh, sorry about that. Didn't mean to offend you. Oh, well, maybe I did. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just a very difficult situation. Gangs were ruling down there, very violent. Um, one of our neighborhoods, uh, just, uh, two weeks ago, they massacred 14 people one night mm-hmm. out in the street, you know, in one of the neighborhoods, not far from our home base, actually. Um, and even our, like our home base, um, somebody broke in, um, a couple months ago and, uh, we have, we allow some of the church people to, to raise goats, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, goats, um, their milk, you know, they make cheese, they make butter, yeah. um, they make the best hot chocolate that you've ever had if you've never had a hot chocolate made with goat milk you're missing it um and then you know when a goat's near the end of his life it, it becomes dinner yeah um and uh, i'll take some fried goat any day it's you like that fried stuff. goat right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah fried goats the bomb man um so you know somebody got in there in the middle of the night and slaughtered all of our goats they, mm. they killed them on the spot and and probably to haul them out so the goats didn't fight them climbing over the fence to get back out of the compound. But, you know, um, it, it's a different world, something yeah. that we're not accustomed to here in America. So we're working very hard to get this medical clinic going um, to help people out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the eight most common, eight of the ten most common reasons of death in, in, in Haiti, um, we solve them in America with a pill. Right. And But they just don't have access to that. Yeah. Um, so we're going to, we're going to try to change it at least in our little corner of the world and, uh, our little neighborhood. And, uh, um, so that's what, that's what we're working on. And that's our big focus and our push right now. And, um, um, you know, so that's, that's where we're headed for 2023. Um, I'm going to be all about the medical clinic. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I'm going to include some of that information in the, in the show notes. So if you're interested about his ministry, I'm going to include his website, include all of those links. So you can uh, check that out uh, if you feel so inclined to give. Uh, yeah. I definitely encourage that. It's good soil, and uh, this medical clinic is definitely what they need. So. And when you're putting in there, it, we had started in September uh, doing a Monday TV broadcast on YouTube. Yeah. And then the hurricane hit, and it wiped out our studio. Mm. Um I moved all the equipment to a new room yesterday, and hopefully this coming week I'll be hooking things back up in a different locale. We'll have a little bit of a different look to it, but we're looking for the second Monday in January, I think it's the 10th, okay. um, to have the first broadcast. So you can you can look up Global Provision on YouTube, and, and you should find my pretty face there in the in the little picture thing, and, there you go. and we'll go back at it. Yeah, and I can include a link for that as well, Yeah, YouTube link, definitely go Check out uh, Chuck's uh, YouTube channel and ministry. Definitely great stuff. Hear your, hear your songbird voice doing the voiceovers. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Yeah. I've got the uh, I've got the voice at the end. Yeah, you do. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah you're welcome. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks. Thank you for sharing that. So every uh, every episode, as you guys know by now, I like to do a, a segment on food, and uh, I, I try to stagger it. I try to do like one week. I'll do a segment on food that I despise. I think last time it was Brussels sprouts. Oh yeah, yeah. Which I listened to that one. I, I don't, I don't know. I like it's because you haven't had my wife's Brussels sprouts. That's true. That's true. They have to be cooked like like she does an iron skillet mm. full of bacon grease. Bacon grease and a ton of cheese. It mm. just 
Yeah. You know, bacon grease makes anything taste better. That's true. I might have to reconsider that, but we'll, yeah. we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> but today we're going to talk about tacos and, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. We just recently had, we just had lunch together, yeah, actually. Yeah, we, we, were, we were uh, at a taco place. There's a few really good, uh, authentic Mexican places here in Sarasota. Uh, what was the name of the place that we went to? Do you remember? I have no idea what it's called. Yeah. We can't pronounce it. We just, I can, my, my knowledge of the Spanish language, um, is all wrapped up in a menu. <laughs> Uh, beyond that, I'm I'm lost. I'll never start. It's kind of like Haiti. I can order off the menu in Haiti. You know, my Creole otherwise gets a little messed up. But yeah, uh, yeah. But I I don't go hungry because I know how to order. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, as a as another good friend of mine, Roger, he just says add O to everything, and you're and you're speaking Spanish. Uh, I have so. a daughter who says that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so yeah, I want to talk about tacos a little bit today. Uh, this is a loaded question. Just like the burrito or the enchiladas that we had today were very loaded with goodness. Or the grouper, steak. Grouper and steak. Refried yeah. beans, all that kind of thing. Yeah. What's your, what would define a really well-balanced taco for you? Um, well, you know, so many people in America would start with Taco Bell. And it that's one, that's not a taco. No. Um, it's barely even food. Um, you know, I think, I think the meat content in it, and it doesn't matter if it's beef or chicken or steak or whatever, but you know, a, a well done, well seasoned meat. Yeah. Um, if you've got that, uh, I think you're, you know, and, and then the other thing, um, if you got a great tortilla, mm. mm-hmm. whether it be flour or corn, either one. Yeah. Um, you know, if you get to a place that they make their own, yeah, oh, yeah, that's next know, level. Yeah, you can overlook bad filling if there's a, a great tortilla. You yeah. know, there was a place years ago out in um, Fresno, California, downtown. I don't even remember the name of it. It was a little walk-in place, and and you there was a a Dr Pepper machine, and you got your you opened it up the door up and got your Dr Pepper. They only had like Dr Pepper and Diet Dr Pepper was it. And then you made your order, and there was a counter. You kind of followed the line down. They had 10 bar stools that, that faced a window looking out. Mm-hmm. It was a little family-run place. But they went in every day at like 4.30 in the morning, and they made tortillas for however long. Mm. And then they were open from like 9.30 till they ran out of tortillas. Wow. And so, I mean, they were usually closed by 1, 1.30 in the afternoon. But, I mean, literally the line to get into this place every day would be half a block long. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, that homemade, there's no substitution for it, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can get by with some Tex-Mex American stuff. Or whatever, but when you find that real, like like this place today, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that, that seafood steak fajita thing, that was... <laughs> It was really good. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, big pieces of grouper in there. And yeah, and I'm not a huge fish fan. Like, I'll eat it. I'll eat a piece of salmon if it's cooked well. But, but man, that grouper was was tender. Yeah, steak was tender. Yeah, it was. It was just, and, it, and I mean, that's to me, that's the key. Is if you if you got the good meat, you can overlook a lot. And if you got a if you've got a good tortilla, 
you know, there was another place we used to frequent up the street here. They used to make their tortillas. I don't think they do it anymore because they've kind of changed. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, people that are in there and stuff, but they used to have homemade tortillas and it was worth, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's, that's the thing, man. If you've got that, ah, yeah. And if you're in the refried beans, their refried beans were really good. You know, yeah. Definitely not from the can. I mean, they, they, yeah. A nice creamy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very good. They had the rice, right? You know, if you're gonna put rice in there, it needs to be done well. Yeah. So yeah, it's tacos. I think are they're just a. It's like the perfect food group. Mm. I mean, you can you know if you put lettuce on it, you know, there's your vegetable. You got your meat. You know, it's like all you know. You you got your sauce on it. You know, and I, I, it's like God's perfect food. Mm. I you know, um, he. It's not in the Bible, but it probably should be. You know that. After God got done with creation, he sat around eating tacos and watching everything in the Garden of Eden. <laughs> I mean, it sounds plausible to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm convinced they're going to be at the marriage supper. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a big taco bar to add on to everything. Oh, taco bar, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, tacos. Yeah. We love tacos. We've had many, many a taco over the years. I've had many a taco. And uh, I think we, I think I met you, was it 2015, I believe? Probably somewhere around there. Uh, a, a friend of ours, a uh, guitar player. Yeah. He was, uh, we were doing sets up here and their bass player couldn't make it that day. And he's like, hey, I, I know a guy. And so that was our. That's how we wandered in. And I think we went and got tacos when we got We, we did. We did actually. Yeah. I think yeah. we went to that La, La Brisa or something. You know, going to, through all this hurricane stuff, I, I went and met with um, FEMA mm. and. Uh, you know, I was going through all the interview process with them because, I, I mean, you know, we're three months out and our insurance still hasn't settled. And uh, so I'm trying to cover all my bases, you know, to do everything I can. And 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 I'm answering all the questions, you know, the ladies interviewing me there at the table, FEMA, and, you know, we're going through all that stuff. And, you know, they go, the government these days, all the crazy stuff they make you answer about, mm. do I identify as a man? I kind of looked at her and she said, I think I know the answer to that one, you know, and I think I know. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and then she had to go down the list of ethnicities and stuff, you know, and she's going down through it. And she asked if I identify as Hispanic and I looked at her and I said, no, but my food choices might say otherwise. <laughs> and she looked at me and she goes, Oh, me too, sugar. Me too. <laughs> That's great. You I'll know. have to use that line next time I'm at the DMV or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because, it, you know, uh, it's the thing my dad's always complained about, you know. Um, my my love for old school black gospel choir music and uh, tacos. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, you know, you're a really messed up white Midwestern kid, you know, that son. And I'm like, yeah, thanks, Dad. He's like, you're welcome, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Oh so, man, you know that's just kind of way it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The tacos, you know, they are, they are a they're like they're like the whole food pyramid. You know, when that was big back, I don't know. They yeah. it was on the cereal boxes. You know, you yeah. get the cereal, and they'd have the food pyramid on the back, and this is what you're supposed to eat, and all of that. Even though most of the packaged cereal today is is really bad for you. Yeah. But um, but tacos, they're awesome. All right. Well. We're going to get into our topic, trife- our trifecta of topics rather today. Okay. And this isn't super current news, but I still want to talk about it because it is so stupid. And uh, it's just, I don't know. We can, I know you can relate to this. It just, you just turn on the news for 10 seconds and 
you're met with a deluge of stupidity uh, with, with our nation and just people in general. Um, uh, kind of an unrelated thing. I read an article, I don't know, maybe a week ago, a lady sued Kraft Heinz company, food company, because the preparation time for her mac and cheese that she was going to microwave was longer than advertised on the box. This is a true story. So she sued Kraft Heinz for $3 million because she had to wait an extra, I don't know, maybe a minute for her mac and cheese to get done. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of something, um, Christian to say here. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a new level of stupidity. Yeah. I, I think, I think stupid things like that happen. And then other people in America seem to take it as a challenge to see if they can get. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Ever since the hot coffee thing at McDonald's where the lady sued. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Ever since that is like, plus, unfortunately in America, you can sue about anything. Yeah. So you try that over in the Middle East or people just laugh at you. Be like, you're, you're out of your mind. Yeah. Hey, go to Haiti and sue because your coffee's too hot. And <laughs> the judge is going to look at you and go, you got coffee? <laughs> Where can I get some? <laughs> yeah. Where'd you get this coffee <laughs> we, we digressed but yeah yeah okay so back on track <laughs> so there's a there's an article here uh so i'm not on tiktok and i'll never be on tiktok yep same here um but apparently the fda this was back on in september 22nd um the fda asked tiktok users please don't cook chicken in nyquil okay so they're asking, apparently it was enough of a, an issue that the FDA had to step in, which we all know how great they are anyway. And, and so they had to step in and say, Hey, don't, don't cook chicken and NyQuil. So uh, let me just read a little bit of the article and then we can try to unpack this. So, uh, it says this cooking chicken and NyQuil cold medicine doesn't sound very appetizing. And the U S food and drug administration wants you to know that it's definitely not safe either. Why would they need to tell us that? Yeah. The agency has issued a warning about videos that have surfaced on TikTok challenging people to cook chicken and NyQuil, which contains acetaminophen uh, and other things that I can't pronounce, or similar over-the-counter cough and cold medications. Boiling a medication can make it more concentrated and change its properties in other ways, the warning said. Even if you don't eat the chicken, inhaling the medication's vapors while cooking could cause high levels of the drug's to enter your body, it could also hurt your lungs. TikTok has already slapped a warning on the challenge known as hashtag sleepy chicken. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> when searching for when searching for related videos on TikTok, users are greedy with the message. Some online challenges can be dangerous, disturbing, or even fabricated. Learn how to recognize harmful challenges so you can protect your health and well-being. And it goes okay. On. Yeah, well, I guess my question is, is, did anybody think of combining the NyQuil and the Tide Pod together to cook it in? There you go. Uh, I mean, I mean, <laughs> you might as well go for the whole cooking NyQuil. I, I just, did anybody not see the TV show Breaking Bad? Stuff bad happens when you cook drugs. Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, I... I uh... There's, I think there's multiple things here. Number one, um, people aren't 
our, our brain, the, the majority of people's brains are just off. The fact that you have to be told by the FDA, please don't, Not to do this. don't do this. And then number two, why you would want to do such a thing. And I think it, I think it really goes back because TikTok is, from my understanding, it's really aimed towards Gen Z. It's yeah. a lot, a lot of the young, all the young people are on TikTok. Um, and unfortunately, you know, kids are starving for attention. They're starving for, they want to be noticed and all of that. And it's like, oh, let's let's actually cook chicken and NyQuil. And I go, it's it's really sad. It's a sad commentary on where we're at. Well, you know, I I I saw a thing, a report, um, or heard about it last week um, while I was traveling. I was listening to a podcast or something, and they were talking about TikTok. You know, right now there's kind of a push you know, to state governments or you can't put TikTok apps on your phones and stuff, mm. you know, and the federal government came out some, you know, a few months ago about the time this came out and, and said, you know, the, there's something like 80 some percent of people who have TikTok on their phone. There's been at least one hack attempt on their bank account. Right. You know, and all this kind of stuff. But they talked about the difference in, in TikTok in China um, where it's used as an inspiration tool and a lot of kids in China want to be doctors or astronauts or engineers or whatever. And in America, we're using TikTok to cook chicken and NyQuil. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, exactly. I mean, it just yeah. if I would have done this, um, you know, as a child, um, I'm not sure that I'd be here today. Um, and that's not because of the NyQuil. It's probably because of your... Probably because of my father um, would have knocked it plumb out of me. Um, you know, uh, yeah, this is just... I mean, this is... I, I don't even know why you would even think to even try to do something that... I mean, cook a, cooking a liquid medicine, man, just... Mm. Hey, let's create a bomb in the kitchen. Mom will love this. It's, it's got to be. It's got to be flammable. Or I mean, if you cook well, it hot enough, like something's got to happen. Yeah, Nyquil's almost. I think fifty percent <clears throat> alcohol to begin yeah. with. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I mean, you got that, and then you're got the medicines that are in there, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of a brand it takes to even think that this might be a good idea in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's almost as bad as the idea that, um, my, you know, when I was in elementary school my neighbor, Mikey and I got the bright idea that we took, um, some plastic baggies and we put a little gasoline in one and we put a little diesel fuel in another and, uh, ran a great big fuse from a bunch of firecrackers that we had down to it and buried it in the yard. Um, I mean, that was a horrible idea. Um, I like to never got the hole filled in. And <laughs> I don't think our parents ever really figured out what actually happened in the yard, but thank God. Um, but I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know what would, why, why would you come up with something Ow. Yeah. I, I'm speechless. Thank God my kids aren't this dumb. Yeah, my, mine too. Mine too. They're Yeah. They're still young. My oldest is 8, but uh I'm I'm thankful that well, they're never going to be allowed on TikTok or pretty much any social media for that matter for a very long time. Yes, keep them away from the stupidity, Josh. That's right. That's yes. right. Um So that is our first topic here and 
yeah, I, I, uh, I really don't know what to say about that. <laughs> so we'll leave it at that. Yep. Um, we're going to, uh, for our next topic here, I always do a segment on music, uh, whether it's something instructional, inspirational. And, uh, I don't know, we'll start off with this. Chuck, what, what, what age were you when you picked up your first instrument? Oh, man. Um, I started taking guitar lessons. I was probably six. Um, let's see, when I, it put me in 19. Yeah, yeah, I was probably about six. And um, I took them from a, a guy. We lived in Lafayette, Indiana. His name was Larry Gould. Mm. And um, not only did Larry teach me, we had a few people there that became well-known rock stars oh, cool they're still out there on tour actually yeah we all had the same guitar teacher we you know i was a couple of years younger than than they were you know but we all knew each other and stuff and from larry and from school and stuff and um so i played rhythm guitar and um um you know dad was a pastor and and we had an old classical style pentecostal church you know blowing and going shouting the aisles and everything else and mm-hmm. and we had a we were purdue university was in town so we had a lot of young people and uh i actually some of the 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 college guys high school college guys that played um i actually sat with my back to the congregation for the most part mm-hmm. and um you know ross and and johnny and and then they would show me chords while we were playing in church. Yeah, you know, and um, um, you know they'd take the time to point to stuff for me and stuff. And I I watched them, and I learned as much by doing that um, as I did at the other. Um, and then somewhere down the line, um, I picked up on uh, bass guitar stuff, and um, um, and that's Christmas of '73. Since we're you know a few days short of Christmas here. Yeah. At Christmas of '73, I got a, my dad bought me a a Conrad um, jazz style bass guitar hmm. with S and H green stamp books. <laughs> um, you old enough to remember no. green stamps? No. So you'd like to go to the gas station or whatever, and they give you like these stamps, uh-huh. and you put them in a book, and then you get so many books collected, and there was a catalog, and you could buy stuff out of the catalog. Okay. And he okay. bought me a, a Japanese hmm. cheapo Conrad bass guitar. Um, with green stamp books, and I used um, 50 watt Gibson tube amp head with a, a Fender 212 basement cabinet, mm. and um, um, that we got from uh, another. I'll drop his name. Butch is long gone. He's passed away. But Butch's music store in in uh, Lafayette, Indiana. Um, I loved Butch. He was a great guy, um, and. Uh, yeah, that's that's and I and then after I got the bass, man, I was I was done. I yeah. was I was hooked. And um you know, I have been playing ever since. Mm-hmm. Um couple things I guess that stuck me is um I I remember the first song I heard on the radio that really how you hear a song and you're like, "Yes, this is and the first song that really did that for me, um was an old song called Come and Get Your Love by a band called Redbone. Redbone. Come and get your love. <laughs> when I heard that song, I was like, yeah, I want to play music. Mm. You know, and I was already taking guitar lessons by that point. But, you know, that song was one that really hooked me in. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then some of the guys from the church came by the house one night. Um, man had probably been about, you know, 73 or so. And um, over at Purdue University, there was a, a Jesus People concert. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy named uh, Randy Matthews, mm. who was one of the early um, Jesus People pioneer guys. And uh, and he was over there at a place called Slater Hill, which was an outdoor amphitheater with a big hill in front of people to sit on the hill and, and watch the stage at the bottom. And it was a natural amphitheater. It didn't take much amplification there. And Randy was out there in a T-shirt and bell-bottom blue jeans and flip-flops and beating an old Gibson guitar and <laughs> and had a long hair with tied up in a you know ripped American flag or whatever you know true hippie stuff you know yeah. and that that was the first outside of church concert I ever went to and I was like yeah man <laughs> you know and um, I was hooked yeah and I and I still am yeah yeah that's awesome so bass is your would be your your first love yeah yeah you know bass and uh um and when i was younger i played a lot of drums Mm -hmm. and um don't do so much anymore um you know um cartilage in your knees um and drumming go along pretty well (laughs) and when you don't have cartilage in your in your especially on your kick drum anymore Mm. uh, it gets kind of painful after about 25 minutes or so you know i'm good for a short period of time but I couldn't do what I used to do, right, you know, right. two, two and a half hours a night or right. I, cu- I couldn't do that anymore. Like I used to when I was younger. And, mm-hmm. um, so I, f- I fell back to bass, you know, but those two instruments I'd, you know, I found, I, I think what, with those, there were so many keyboard players, piano, so many guitar players, mm-hmm. but so many places didn't have a drummer who could actually keep beat or a bass player. You know, yeah. you could sit in a groove. So important. Oh, man. You know, so I always had a place to play. That's cool. You know, and I always always was able to fall into places. And, and um, yeah, um, you know, it was, you know, before I felt the call to ministry, I, that was my intent was to be a musician. Mm-hmm. That was when I when I got out of school, that was what I wanted to do. Yeah. And, uh, um, and I, wide range of music. You know, I, I've never been pigeonholed into one mm-hmm. um, uh, one thing, you know, growing up Pentecostal church. I, I remember um, uh, mom got me uh, Andre Crouch and the Disciples live at Carnegie Hall. Mm. And um, um, the best band ever. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, Harlan Rogers on keyboards and. Hadley Hawkins Smith on guitars and 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 Bill Maxwell on drums. I, I mean, you know, that's um, it right there. Yeah, <laughs> and you and I are alike on this. You know, I, I used to look at albums that come out. You know, and I used to buy stuff not by whose name was on the front. I used to look at the credits and see who played on it. Exactly. And if I saw yeah. any of those guys' name on the credits, you know, oh, I was buying the album. That's how I found Keith Green. Mm-hmm. It wasn't because Keith Green was popular; it was because Bill Maxwell played drums on it and produced know? it, right? And produced, produced it. Yeah, yeah, he produced yeah. he produced Keith Green. You know. Yeah. So I mean, that was, you know, so got into that. So you know, I was grew up in that kind of when we had a big choir at church and stuff. So I kind of had that era, you know, um, a lot of Southern gospel music. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you know, um, the Happy Goodman family. I've um, known them since I was kids, you know, had opportunities to play with them and stuff, which was, you know, a great thing, you know, growing up, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, ate at Howard and Vestal's house and, 
and you know hung out on the bus with rusty and you know and all that kind of stuff um um, I still have a, a Sam solo album that he did that he autographed. Um, and I, I still got that album in my office, you know. So knowing them, the Henson family, um, I'm friends to this day with Ronnie Henson, you know. Yeah. And, um, he had the best, they had the best band ever. And to me, I, the, me and the Hensons were, you know, top notch. Uh, I loved them. Mm. Um, you know, the guy was a great songwriter, killer band. John Stahl's family was the same way. And, of course, I got to, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was close friends with them, lived in, in their house for a while and stuff, played music with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dad took me to see Petra. Mm. Um, you know, uh, their second album was just coming out, uh, Come and Join Us. And we were, Dad was friends with their, their pastor in Fort Wayne, and we were over in Fort Wayne. And uh, um, Pastor Pano says to me, you know, he says, hey, you guys ought to stick around tonight and see my new band. They had a place called the Adam's Apple, which was their old church building. And they'd taken all the pews and stuff out and you just sat on the floor and stuff. But every, every weekend they had bands and, and people and stuff. And, and, uh, I hadn't been before. Um, but we went over dad and said, okay, uh, we'll hang around. And, and that night was Petra. I'm down in the front, right in front of the stage. Dad's leaning against the back wall, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they're up there, you know, especially when they got to uh, that was the first time they did uh, "God Gave Rock and Roll to You." Yeah, was yeah. on that album, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, and then you know, we'd go to Adam's Apple after that periodically. You know, I saw Phil Keggy, Nancy Honeytree, uh, Second Chapter of Axe, um, uh, Larry Norman. You know, I mean, just a, a whole wide variety of of people, you know, and stuff and styles and music. Yeah. And, and I got older, um, you know, I, I, I did my secular music thing and, um, you know, I, I've listened to a lot of people. I've really only ever got hooked on a couple, you know, to where I listen to a lot. Yeah. Um, I think I've got, I'm, I'm missing a couple journey albums, but I think I got most everything journey did. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, um, I guess the other one would be Van Halen, you know, yeah. which is, I, I mean, you know, I know Journey's rock, but they're not what Van Halen was, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, but I could listen to Van Halen, turn around and listen to Andre Crouch at the same time, you know, <laughs> it just, right. you know, as my wife says, give your whiplash um, <laughs> musically, you know. Oh, and, if you look uh, at my Spotify recently played, that's what you're going to get. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're going to get, you get everything from, I'm listening to a Beethoven sonata and then the next the next go around, I'm listening to funk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's, it's the same thing. My Spotify play. In fact, uh, you know, how they do the, the, the year end review or yeah, I just thing. got mine. Yeah. And they're like, you like, you listen to over 200 genres this year. I'm like, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know, I got a thing for like, I just read, um, um, my brother got me, uh, a book of conversations a guy had with Ed Van Halen. And, um, I just finished. I, I read biographies a lot. Anybody, everybody. There's always something to learn. Somebody who's been successful is there something you can learn from them. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it is that they've done, um, good, bad, or whatever. But um, um, I learned that I have two things in common with Ed Van Halen. Hmm. Um, number one is um, they talked him into taking his analog Yuri uh, console out of his recording studio and putting in a, a digital SSL. Okay. Um, cost almost a million bucks, and he hated it. 
and he wanted his analog back, but he said, all I've got is a million-dollar boat anchor, so I can't really just throw a million dollars out the door, but I want my analog board. And you know me. I know everybody goes digital these days, and yeah. okay, but I still got my analog board. Yeah. I want my analog board, man. Sure. Uh, there's something about it. Um, and then the other thing is, is um, if he was going to listen to an album just for the sake of listening to music, he would pull out uh, Peter Gabriel's So album from the mid-1980s, mm. and he listened to it a lot, I guess, more than anything else. Um, I, and you've been in the car when I've been playing that album. Mm-hmm. I can I can listen to that album any time because it's got a little... It's got a little funk to it. It's got a little world music type yeah. stuff to it. It's got ballads. It's got rockers, you know. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it's so I got those two things, you know, other than the fact that Ed could play guitar better than I've ever even dreamed about playing in my sleep. Whole but, other level. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was a, um, you know, whole other thing. I, mm-hmm. I mean, they build guitars different because of the way the guy played. Right, right. You know, yeah. I, I mean, that's and that's just fact. Yeah. Um. So, but yeah, I mean, I've always just had this draw to music and, you know, what they call world music, you know, with lots of bongos mm-hmm. and, you know, wood instruments and stuff. And I just sold it, but my favorite synthesizer module had a, uh, a setting in it called Glass Tamboo, mm. which was like somebody blowing in a wooden reed or a glass bottle type thing real yeah. percussive i just loved it putting that thing just faintly behind the key on the keys you know behind mm-hmm. something you know um, but you know i thought when i sold it i was like oh, i'm not gonna have any more glass tamboo i gotta find a program for that you know right right <laughs> but you getting that kind of feel and and, and that's kind of what i want to do you know this coming year um working my way through this hurricane thing um, you know, which, you know, where we live, they come, but, you know, it, it did a lot of damage to our house and we had pretty good setup there. You know, we had a place where we, we had small church services and small mm-hmm. worship services and you've been there and led worship and, yeah, and, uh, and I got my audio gear out there and I got everything hooked up and I was hoping to do some recording this year mm-hmm. and, uh, and more than just doing a, a rock thing, but I wanted to do you know, kind of uh, incorporate some different types of stuff into some worship times or whatever, yeah. you know, and maybe get a little bit of that ethnic feel, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff yeah. into it. And, um, you know, down in Haiti, they do 10,000 Reasons mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. I don't know. Is that Chris Tomlin? I don't know who that is. Matt Redman? I don't know. Matt Redman or yeah, I think Ed Cash was on there. Yeah. Wrote that too. I don't know. Uh, but they sing it down there a lot, which which is... <clears throat> always get you going because here's these people who have nothing they make on average two dollars and 50 cents a day mm-hmm. and they're singing at the top of their lungs ten thousand reasons yeah you know um but they do this kind of little backbeat flowing thing with it they do it a little faster than we do but a little groovier you know and yeah. and uh i got a, i got a little recording of it on my phone you know and and I'm like, yeah, yeah, we ought to do something like that, mm-hmm. you know, and get some of this different feel and, and stuff going to it, you know. And, um, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I I like that stuff too. I saw, I mean, I started piano when I was nine. I was started guitar actually before that, just learned a couple chords, and then I fell in love with the piano. So for me, I, 
I studied classical music growing up. Yeah. So I was that kid, the one that was inside practicing while the other kids were <laughs> outside on their bikes or whatever. I, I had time outside too, but I was the I was the nerdy kid that was inside. And so like even through high school and, and into college, you know, my whole thing was I was like I want to be a concert pianist, and that's kind of where I was headed. But then I felt the 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 pull to ministry. But along with that, I was like, there was other music that was just like pulling at me too, like other styles, other genres. Yeah. I was like, like, I don't want to be stuck just playing Mozart and Beethoven my whole life. I mean, it's amazing stuff. There's, I mean, I studied it, all of that. I was like, I just can't do it. But I got you got me thinking about the world music. I used to listen. I used to listen to Yanni all the time. Oh <laughs> now, man, I love his stuff. Now I would get flack for it from other people. Like, yeah. That's just cheesy, corny music. I'm like, yeah. Then you don't understand music. Like, right. He he would bring like pretty much the top players. Yeah. Of all these crazy instruments, like all these flutes and, I mean, that guy that played bass for him was incredible. Oh, dude, that just do some of the craziest solos. And then he had a he had a, on one tour. I forget. There's a DVD that I used to have. There, there's this, of course, Asian, Asian yeah. violinist. She was ridiculous. She'd be like dancing all over the stage playing and wouldn't miss a beat. Of course, you got Yanni with his, all of his racks of keyboards that he's yeah. playing and all of that. And, and, uh, and that kind of got me like, kind of my ear like turned towards like, oh, there's all these different textures and different instruments yeah. that you can use. And um, yeah, so I, I go, that's a, actually a great segue into our third our third topic thank you our third topic um which we're gonna be talking about worship music um i will just see where it goes we're, okay. we're free free flowing today well i got a few points here we'll, we'll see if we even even hit them um you already we already talked about your journey a little bit already and all of that but um one of the things that like my heart's been like ever since i was young i was like i've been like is like how like I'll just start I'll just start back here I'll just the whole idea of like the worship music genre nowadays is one literally one sound yeah and uh I'm not saying that it's bad that that's necessarily bad all the time or you can't do that but um I look at it and I go like, what are you talking about in Haiti? Like there, and I, I've, I've traveled as well. It's like you go to different countries and you're hearing the same song, but a different, a different take and a different flavor. And, and I go, I think that we're doing not just the body of Christ a, a disservice, but musicians in general, especially the young kids that are getting into it. And they're like, I want, I want to, and their hearts are in the right place. Or like, I want to serve. I want to serve my church. And they get in and they're told, well, this is what worship music is supposed to sound like. And really they're kind of pigeonholed into this, you know, it's this idea of like, if I learn my parts just right, yeah, you know, and I play what's right on the multi-tracks and I play everything, execute everything perfectly, that means I'm a good musician. And it means that a host of different things, but, and, and I've been thinking about that recently. Like we're doing, especially I'm thinking about young people. Because uh, here at the House of Prayer, we that's our really our heart is for young people. We've had schools. I've directed a worship school. And so I go, like, no, there's so much more out there. Right. You know, and this idea that music and really nowadays, like, worship is just kind of this term you just throw around. It really doesn't mean a whole lot. 
I don't know. What are your thoughts? We'll kind of just well, start bouncing out there. I was I I consider myself fortunate that the church I grew up in um, was a blowing and going and getting after church. Um, you know, I was just before my third birthday when we went there, and the first Sunday there was twelve people there, including the four of us. Mm. Okay. Um, by the time you know dad became state bishop in indiana um the, his last sunday there was more than 800 people there wow so you know we had we had this choir i remember we had an old pipe we were an old church big stained glass windows and stuff built in the 1800s and um they took out the old pipe organ air thing didn't work anyway <laughs> um and expanded the choir loft you know doubled the size because you know we had you know 50 60 people people in the choir you know all ages young and old mm-hmm. um you know we had piano organ drums we had a couple guitar players you know we had a guy that played a little fiddle he played a little banjo he played a little juice harp you know and you know I, right you know and we didn't limit i mean if you you had some talent about you you know you could play in a key or whatever we were putting people on the platform and like I said with me, you know, I was this kid and they were putting mm-hmm. me up there. Now I wasn't mic'd up or anything, but then when I got my bass guitar, I was. I was amplified. Right, yeah. You yeah. know, and I set over, um, when, when I started playing bass, I set over close to the piano. Um, and and I knew my I knew my keys, you know, mm-hmm. three flats, two flats, whatever, you know, is where right. they... And and I could go off from there, right. you know. And I learned a little bit to watch the left hand of the piano player. You know, mm-hmm. and if I was getting lost or whatever, you know, and we had a couple of good piano players there at the church, you know, and I could follow along what they was doing. And I think today, you know, we we get in trapped in the sound of 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 what you said is very true. Everything sounds alike. I'm I I owned a recording studio. I've done a few albums, and mm-hmm. you know, I've played with some really good people. I'm so sick of hearing compressed pianos. Um, um, it just drives me nuts, you know, turn off. That the drives compressor. me nuts too, because I'm a purist. Like even when I record myself playing piano, yeah. like I'll, I'll only use enough compression to just tame the, the highest of peaks. Yeah. And I'm like, don't mess with my piano. Yeah. Yeah. And you know me when I, when I'm running sound with you, I, I leave my compressors pretty transparent. Yeah, yeah. There's some there, but it, there's not very much. Mm-hmm. The only thing I really compress is a kick drum, mm-hmm. you know, even my bass guitar, I don't put a, I got a compressor on, but I don't put much on it. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I like to let stuff breathe and, and we are teaching people that it's all in this vein or nothing. And I think we're making a mistake. Um, number one, churches are individual and they have their own churches have a personality mm-hmm. and we're ignoring the personality by trying to force everybody to be identical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if your church is more country, well, by all means, man, play that thing with a clean Telecaster sound and yeah. and 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 go at it. I have a friend out in California, man. I the dude's as good a guitar player as Vince Gill is, and that's no joke. You know, and his church is is they do the modern songs and stuff, but they're country. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, some of us just, I mean, killing it. You know, yeah. and. Uh, if that's your church's personality and that's what you're in, then do it. Nothing says we got to we got to stop this rule that we all have to sound this way. 
You know, you can watch 50 different Facebook lives of 50 different churches. And it's like anymore. They all sound alike. Yeah. You know, um, uh, and it just, you don't have to find your personality, find your thing, do your interpretation of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to be cover bands. Yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Yeah. I think, uh, I think another thing that's pushed kind of this one, one lane musical highway, if I can put it that way, is the fact that nowadays the, the song worship is worship and our feelings are pretty much one and the same. Yeah. So I'm going to worship if I feel something or now we label church as a worship experience. Right. You know, that's the big buzzword. So, you know, if I, the music has got to make me feel a certain way. And so, and unfortunately it's, CCM and the worship genre are all one now. It's there's no separation. No, um, and so it's just a big industry. And so now, now the now everything is marketed. Yeah. And so what sells, you know, if it sells, we're gonna that's what we're gonna do. And um, another thing I'd like to talk about too is just how like in terms of like being a let's just take a younger version of you. If all of this was happening now. Uh, like, do you think you would have had the opportunities that you had? No. Yeah. Um, a few years back, I was working with a youth group at a church doing the, they're helping the young people that were wanting to learn music and stuff and helping them with their youth group services and stuff. And they were, they had some songs that they were doing pretty good. And, well, I approached church leadership and, you know, about, Hey, we need to, they did what I called a throwaway song. A song to open up service, and then mm-hmm. after that's announcements or whatever right. else, and and then they would come back in and do the the full worship. Sure. And I said, you know, we need to let the kids do the throwaway song at the beginning, let them open up service and stuff. And the response I got was, "Is they're not professional enough." And I'm like, "So what?" Yeah. Well, a couple of the ki- people I had playing, I lost them because of that. Um. Because they were like, well, we're, we're never going to get a chance here to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were young. And yeah, they were a little raw. But um, we didn't do anything to encourage them to come along in their journey. Yeah. You know, we told them, well, uh, if you'd get better. Really? You know, is that what Jesus says to us when we come to ask for forgiveness of sins? Well, if you'd get better, I'd think about it. Um, no, I just, yeah, it's, it's really like, like we are. It's like the Pharisees are reminded of the verse where it goes, Jesus basically rebukes him and says, you know, you're, uh, I'm paraphrasing. This is not the official translation. So don't quote me on this. Uh, it, uh, Jesus basically said, you're, you're basically telling, you're giving all, putting all these burdens on people, but yeah. you're not doing anything to help them. Right. That's that idea. Right. And, and that's kind of, you know, like in that situation is what we're doing, you know, but you know, one of the mistakes I think that the, the current church is making across the board, um, I fight it in my own church fellowship. Um, you know, when I was starting in ministry in, in the 1980s and stuff, I could call a pastor up and say, hey, I'd like to come over and preach for you or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they would schedule me to come on a Sunday night or they'd schedule me to come on a Wednesday midweek or whatever, you know. But mm-hmm. we don't have Sunday night services anymore. We don't have yeah. Wednesday night services anymore. So now we complain that we don't have young preachers, but we don't have any opportunities for young preachers. 
Mm. We've taken away the avenue that we had to develop them. Um, and so now we just sit around and complain, well, nobody's answering the call to preach anymore, but we don't have a spot because, you know, if we're getting 50 chances a year to preach to our congregation on Sunday morning, we're not too willing as a pastor to give that up. <clears throat> right. You know, this is our, our shot once a week. Mm -hmm. So we don't, you know, and so we've cut out the young preacher and we've done the same thing with music. Um, you know, if you're not at a certain high whatever, then we don't you know, we don't want you. Mm -hmm. um, now, my my first experience in doing that, um, uh, I went down, I was still in high school, and um, I, I went from Indiana down to, to Madisonville, Kentucky, and um, um, to work in a church for a summer, you know, and uh, um, they had a number of different things going, and, mm -hmm. and they were friends of my parents and stuff, and and, and what have you. And, and I mean, they had some serious players, you know, they had guys that played in studios in Nashville and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff and, and all that going on. And, um, um, I go down there and my, my first night that I'm, I'm, I'm there, I get in there not long before church time, they're having revival services. And, um, I got my acoustic guitar with me and they're like, I, I play acoustic with us tonight. Well, there's a couple other acoustic players. There's an electric player. You know, drums, bass, organ, piano. There's like 50 people in a choir mm -hmm. standing. Just for, I mean, really, their platform for what they had was small. We were crammed in there. Well, we're playing along, all right. You know, doing doing during church and whatever. And the the guy who was the first uh, rhythm guitar player, you know, and I wasn't hooked up to anything. I wasn't plugged in or anything. I was just up there with him. You know, yeah. he wanted me up there. And he keeps leaning over and keeps looking at me, you know, and a couple songs in, in between songs, he goes, your D string's out of tune. Well, they passed a, you know, we just had a strobe tuner at that time. You know, was, this is like 1980, 1981, you know, and yeah. just had a strobe tuner. So I got down and I, sure enough, D string was out of tune. Now, how he heard that over everything else, I have no idea. But I, that was my first experience in playing with people of that level. All these guys read the Nashville number system. Yep. You know, I'd never seen it before. But the thing was, is they taught me. Right. You know, um, now my real reason for being down there was to be a drummer. So the next day they had me set up my drums and stuff, and I'm sitting there, and, I, and I'd do a rehearsal with them and stuff. And, and uh, you know, the one guy who's been a big-time drummer, he looks at me and he says, listen, I can make you a drummer. He says, you got talent, you're raw. I can make you a drummer. I said, okay, make me a drummer because that's what I wanted to be. Yeah. You know, I'm 16 years old and mm -hmm. that's what I wanted. So he takes away my drums. He leaves me a kick, a snare, a hi-hat. And for the next six, seven weeks, I played a kick, snare, and hi-hat. And that was it. And, um, you know, and yeah. then, then, then one week he comes in and he gives me a couple toms and a crash cymbal, you know. Uh, but the dude made me a drummer. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, but the way we're at now, I, I, for a large part, we're not the younger generation. We're not doing that with them. We're not instilling. We, you know, we're coming in. So many churches have a rehearsal or a sound check, thirty minutes or an hour before church starts, and that's a rehearsal. Their attitude is, learn your part before you come. Mm -hmm. 
and we're not doing anything to pull that younger generation up and bring them up and instill in them. I mean, it's one thing to sit at home and play, and you know this, you sit at home and play an instrument with a track, but it's another thing getting up. My youngest son, the first time he played in front of a crowd, yeah, you know, the dude was hooked. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. And he's like, I'm going to do this, you know, and, and the kid is a flat out good musician, you know, a lot of it self-taught and, and, and that stuff. But the kid can play. He's got skill. And, um, um, you know, and it, but we don't do anything in the church to bring that kid up on the platform to to give him because we we want everything to be perfect. And, you know, we do everything with the cue in the ears and. Oh, intro, one, two, three, and it just, you know, uh, I, I don't know what we're doing. Yeah. You know, we're killing, we're killing off a generation behind us and, and, and not allowing them to develop, not allowing them to become themselves, you know, um, you know, when I was reading this book about Ed Van Halen, you know, meets Gene Simmons and Gene's like, I don't know what to do with you. I've never heard another band that sounded like you. Well, you can't say that about a worship team anymore because we all sound exactly the same. Right, right. You know, and that's one thing I I love about playing with you mm-hmm. is we don't. No, we don't. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, the worship leader I had at the church in, in Kentucky, I used to love playing with her. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening to Lynette, I love you. I miss you. Um, you know, I'd love to play music again with you, you know, but she used to give us a song list every Sunday morning and she'd say, we're going to do the first two. The others are merely suggestions, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you may or may not, you know, but for the, I would say 90% of the church world, we don't do that. And, and now we've cut it down to, you know, so many churches do three songs and that's it, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, you know, and then we, then we're, you know, we're going to be big time, so we throw in a rock song for the offering, you know, or whatever. Um, but, you know, we've yeah. cut it down to nothing, and we're not we're not giving that out avenue to raise up and uh, and let them, you know, develop. You know, where, you know, where is the next Bob Hartman from Petra coming from? Right. You know, um, I mean, so many guys, they're far and few between right now. Um, you know, one thing I appreciated about, um, uh, Eddie DeGarmo and Dana Key is not only with DeGarmo and Key in the eighties, did they really hit it out of the park, but they got into the music production side of it and the business end of it. And they gave opportunity, um, you know, to, we wouldn't have Toby Mac if it wasn't for them, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, the guys like Toby Mac or, um, uh, John Cooper from Skillet, mm-hmm. you know, I, again, Eddie DeGarmo's responsible there. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I, I can never think of his name, but the, the guy that sings for thousand foot crutch, um, uh, up out of Canada, you know, I, can't, I don't I, remember the, his the name. dude has got pipes like nobody else, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but where are they coming from? David, one of my favorites, I've seen them in concert more than anybody else. And as much as I love Petra, but I've seen David and the Giants more than I've seen Petra, you know, and and David Huff and his brothers. And, and I, I mean, they have their sound. When you hear that guitar tone, you know, it's David, mm-hmm. you know, 
and uh, you're going to get some rock and Mississippi blues, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, who are the guys coming up behind them? You know, Petra's in their 50th anniversary tour, but I don't see anybody coming up behind them, you know, um, to do what, what they've done. I mean, Bob wrote some of the best scriptural lyrics that anybody's ever written in Christian music. Yeah. You know, um, their musicianship has been second to none through everything, their album production, everything, you know, um, and, and we're just losing it. And we're, as a friend of mine in Nashville terms it, we're falling into worship tainment. Yeah, that's really good. It's a good word. I'll, I'll, I, I totally agree. And uh, I think I think another thing for me, it was I was about 13 years old. And kind of what you were saying, my my opportunity was I, we, we did church in my house for years. Yeah. So I was a PK. I was a pastor's kid, just like you. And um, I'd been playing piano for about three years, doing the whole sight reading thing or note reading or whatever it was, sheet music. Um, and my dad, it was a Sunday night service. My dad goes, all right, get up there and, pl- and start playing. I said, play what? <laughs> He's like... We, we had this little uh, Maranatha spiral bound, you know, yeah. those, those yep. little white booklets we would go through. And at the time, like my brother and I did music together and, and, and he would leave. But even, it was even before that. And uh, so my dad would kind of pick songs out of it and he would, he would sing. My dad was not a musician, but he actually had a really good voice. And uh, so I, I didn't really know how to play chords. I didn't, it was awful. But if my dad hadn't done that, I would not be where I was or I am today. Guarantee yeah. it. I would have been sitting at just a, a, you know, sitting in the church, sitting in the chair as a, as a teenager, bored out of my mind, probably wishing I could be up there playing. But but if that separation had been made, like no, you don't, you you can't get up here and play. I wouldn't be. Is that really like even from a young age? I really, uh, you know, and what I love about being able to be at the at the ministry I'm with that with with now is the fact that we've got teenagers come up and playing we got a uh another young kid that's been playing on Wednesday nights drums and 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 like hey you, here's a chance to grow yeah you know you're rough uh, i just met with someone else that's going to be starting to do drums you know and the kids need those opportunities and um I think another thing that's detrimental as well is is they're told. Well, I'll back up a minute. Music is like when you get a when you get a really good group of musicians together in a room, and it, you know what I mean. You know what I mean by this. You're hearing a conversation. Yeah. They don't have to have in ears. They don't have to have anything. You could have a, a drum kit right out in the center of the room. You could have a guitar amp cranked up. They're all playing perfectly together, but it's a conversation. They're not playing to a track. They're not playing to a click. Right. Um, but they're making music and they're making something enjoyable to listen to. And nowadays, a lot with the with the younger kids, they're maybe they're playing. Maybe they're really good at playing a certain style of music. But in terms of, but if you, but I've seen this happen so many times. You put them in a different context just to play, and they don't know what to do. Yeah. They can't have that conversation with other musicians. And I think that's a disservice, but because these many times worship leaders are like you're you're doing a great job, and they and they get the pat on the back because you you nailed that lick just right with all of your reverb and delay and it takes 
really no technique to do. I'm not trying to be mean, but right. most of these guitar lines, you're never going to grow playing worship guitar. Correct. If you're going to, if you want to grow pl playing electric guitar, you've got to learn some blues. You got to learn rock, you know, take it a step further and learn maybe a little bit of funk and throw some jazz or whatever. You've got to actually like listen to other stuff and, you know, you know, talking about feeling that room and stuff. A few years ago, I got the chance to go to um, Preservation Hall in New Orleans, mm. you know, which is some of world-class jazz musicians. And it's a hole-in-the-wall place. It's a dumpy little joint. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've been there or not. but I've heard of it, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to go to New Orleans. It's only 10 hours go. from here. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? Um, sorry, Emma. We're going to be gone for a couple of days. Um <laughs> Well, I'll take we'll take I'll take Bruce. We'll take Bruce. We'll take Bruce. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I paid the extra to get the VIP seats, and you actually ended up sitting. It's there's no stage or anything. It's all one level, but the first couple rows sit on the floor, and then there's a couple rows of benches, and then everybody else stands. The VIP seats you're in folding chairs right up where the musicians are. All right. Mm -hmm. My elbow was actually sitting on the edge of the piano all night. All right. So this this girl walks in. You know, she's got this piano book. Uh, music book three ring binder is probably four or five inches thick and she sits down and she opens it up a little, little skinny redheaded cow she opens it up and she never looked at the book the whole night um <laughs> but there's two the two guys sitting in the front the trumpet player and the saxophone player they were older guys all right up in their 70s and um and because i was sitting right there with them you know for the concert for 50 minutes when we we were the first in, but because of where we were at, we were the last to leave. So I got a chance to talk to them. You know, they're cleaning their instrument, mm -hmm. backing them up. And um, and I said, you know, I was watching you guys play tonight, and I said, there'd be times that one of you would be soloing or the other, and you'd be staring down at the ground, and you'd just be grinning and chuckling. And they, they looked at each other, and one of them looked at me, and he says, you know, son, he says, we've been playing together for over 30 years. And, and he says, every night – this guy does something that surprises me and astonishes me, you know, wow. and that, that's sitting there, you know, these guys, they had no PA system. They're not wearing ears. There's no click track. You know, it was just six musicians sitting in a room, you know, in an area wasn't as big as the room that we're in right now, mm -hmm. you know, and, and playing to that. And, and I think so many times um, we've had the conversation about, I think drum rooms are probably the biggest mistake the church has ever made because we've we've put our our up-and-coming drummers in a drum room and we let them beat away to no end because you can't hear them otherwise um whereas i came up i had to play to the room mm -hmm. i was i was 12 years old but for the first time that i was actually had a monitor speaker and i was at another church somewhere and they had monitors and i was like what's this <laughs> You know, I, I was used, you had to play at a volume to where you could hear the, everybody else who's playing and hear the house speakers, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and stuff. And, and you had to learn dynamics. You had to learn how to play to the room, not be overpowering, not be overbearing. And, and, and I think we've missed it a lot of times because we've used the technology, which is great. Um, you know, you can hear a lot of things in our ears and stuff, but we miss a lot of the room and we, we miss a lot of things that happen because, you know, I, you know, 20 some years ago when I got my first pair of in-ears, 
you know, I was a song and a half into my first Sunday with them and I was ripping one of them out because I saw people clapping, but I didn't hear nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, it just drove me nuts. I'm, I'm better with it now than I was in, but you know, I think we've done ourselves a disservice in some of that stuff and, and, and not being able, we've isolated ourselves and we're more concentrated on this set part. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas the style of music that I typically do with you, we don't know what's coming next. Okay. We're doing the verse and the chorus, but are we going to go to the bridge? Are we going to go to an instrumental? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you get it about two or three beats before it happens. <laughs> and it's great. Yeah. It keeps you on your toes. It's, it, you know, mm-hmm. I, and it helps you grow and develop. Yeah. You know, I, you know, so I think as a church, I think we need to be cautious of that, you know, to bring that in there. Totally agree. And I think, I think too, it's like this whole idea of, because uh, and I've done this on pre- on previous podcasts as well, and I'm probably going to do it again. I've talked a lot about worship. It's just something I'm passionate about. But with worship, uh, worship is not music. Correct. Okay. We, we can everyone can give me a big amen on that one. Worship is your life. Yeah. It's how you live your life. And unfortunately, we're like I said before, worship and music are synonymous. They're they're the same thing. We turn on a, a, a song. And all of a sudden, oh, that makes me want to worship. And I go, I know what you mean, but you're not really, it's not really an accurate statement. Yeah. And so I go, I go, if, if worship is, is encompasses our life and how we live our life, how we love God, how we love people, then the musical gifting that God gives us should, we should want to develop that and reach for excellence. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If we're, if worship is like, giving everything that we can, then we should then at, at right now, the current state of where things are at, then people are only playing. And that, and I play, I play with, and I played with a lot of musicians where they're really, 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 really talented, but they, but they don't have any other avenues and they're stuck playing boring guitar parts or boring keyboard parts. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pianist at heart and I go, I never forget one Sunday. So a friend of mine, uh, invited me to play. He was a worship leader at a at a church, and they they were doing the whole the tracks and cue and whatever. And he goes, uh, "Can you play keys for me?" I'm like, "Okay, sure." He sent me the song list. He's like, "I want all of the all the lead piano parts." I'm like, "No, nah, no problem. They're they were they were easy to do." Um, and so I get there, and I'm playing, and I'm I'm hearing myself. I'm hearing another piano. And I take my ears out, and I'm not kidding. Everything but the drums were doubled with tracks. So he had he had live musicians on stage, and my keys part was actually being doubled. And and I I, I kind of was like I was like, bro, what am I doing here? Yeah. Like, why do you want me to play? Oh, we just it just helps thicken everything out. I'm like, well, what's the fun in that? And that that's the whole other thing too. I'm like, music is supposed to be fun. And there's so much pressure that's put on people when they're like, well, you've got to get this just perfect. Yeah. I'm not saying like intentionally be sloppy, but I've heard musicians play that with passion. And like, I've done it myself where I'm, I'm, I'll do a, uh, maybe something on the keys and maybe I'll miss a few notes, but I'm like, if I was recording that, if I was in the studio, I would keep that take somehow I'd fix some stuff. But 
even with the mistakes, I'll keep it. Right. Um, and so it's like, cause you're, you're pouring out what's inside. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if that's, that's worship. So <clears throat> I had this kind of flashback thing. Um, it probably been the fall of 1983, somewhere in there. I was working uh, again in Madisonville, Kentucky. I was freshly out of high school. And um, I had been touring with a family Southern Gospel group for about 10 months. And I left them and took this job at this new startup TV station. Mm. And uh, um, uh, David Binion and his family were part of what we were doing. And, uh, you know, we were all kids at the time. And uh, I, I, I'll never forget a Sunday morning. It's one of those things that get burned in you. Um, we were fledging. We were struggling for money. We were using makeshift gear, blah, 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 blah. You know, we had a problem with one of the choir microphones. Um, I'm actually on the floor under the audio table uh, soldering a cable during church. Okay. Um, with, a, and I'll give a shout out to, to my guy who taught me everything about audio, Larry Price. Um, you know, uh, worked with all kinds of people. Most recently he worked for a long time for Joyce Meyer mm-hmm. ministries, producing mm-hmm. a lot of her stuff and, um, uh, love you, Larry. I couldn't got this far in life without you. Um, but we're down there, we're soldering this thing. Well, there's a change in the music. David and his brother, Bobby and his sister, Lisa, they're singing, I bowed on my knees and cried holy, the old hymn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the choir had been singing, well, the choir dropped out. And I thought, well, I'm down there. Well, David just told him to hold off for a minute, you know, because they're kind of improvising on one of the verses or whatever. Well, I get done doing what I'm doing, get the choir mic hooked back up, and everything's, you know, got signal to it again, you know. And you get back up, and literally, and there was probably about 300 people there that day. I could see David and Lisa up at the piano. Bobby was on his knees next to him. I didn't see anybody in the choir. Couldn't see anybody in the pews. Then I spied pastor, the preacher, as we called him preacher, mm-hmm. laying face out in the floor in the aisle. And, and as, you know, God had just dropped in that place. And... um I don't remember how long it hung around, mm. but that that atmosphere hung for a long time, um, and it had a huge impact. Um, you know, as uh, of the worship in me, mm. because you could feel the worship of an Almighty God, but it wasn't about the music, right? Exactly. And you could feel the presence and you could feel the moving. You could feel a, the Holy Spirit swirling in the sanctuary, but it had nothing to do. You know, by this point, you know, David tinkling on the piano is just tinkling on the piano is all it is. You know, nothing had nothing to do with it. And um, getting to that point, um, it, that wouldn't happen in today's church mm. because we got a little thing in our ear going, uh, bridge and two, three, four, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we don't, I mean, it couldn't, it couldn't, we don't give avenue for that type of experience. Being free, you know, being a pastor of a church or being able to go in 
and um, on a Monday morning by yourself, nobody else in the building, and being able to pray however you want to pray, but literally dance up and down the center aisle of the church Mm -hmm. and feel the freedom and the moving and the spirit of God. Um, That's what worship's about. Yeah. And we have to create that atmosphere. Our our world is a pressure cooker anymore. Everywhere you turn, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there's financial pressure, there's work pressure, there's pressure with our kids and the schools and, you know, the political nonsense that we're bringing upon ourselves and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's just, it's just hammering on us. And I think it's imperative of the church to bring the atmosphere of worship to where people can find that freedom. They can sit down in a chair and let out a big sigh of relief and just begin to worship the Lord and his greatness and his fullness while they're sitting in their front room, just sitting in a chair, Mm -hmm. you know, and 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 let it begin to flow through them and and you don't you know we do prayer things here we've always got music or we've always got praise teams going uh, you want to have a prayer meeting in Haiti they don't have no music mm-hmm. they'll sing a song to start right um, and, and I mean we got a prayer group that meets on Friday nights down there they lock themselves in the church building and um, they pray from six p.m. to six a.m. Wow. Um, and there ain't no music, there ain't no tracks. Mm-hmm. They're in, they pray. Yeah, they get down on their knees in front of the church altar or the pew or whatever it is, and then people pray, and it brings a freedom and a worship into the place that transforms people. Yeah, um, I think that's one reason that our little neighborhood in, in Haiti has been relatively safe in the middle of this getting on three years of political violence that they've been having. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it is because those people know how to worship God in the middle of all that stuff. They know how to get a hold of it. And, and, and the American church needs to do that as well. Yeah. That's a good word. So, you know, let me give one other thing about encouragement. There you go. Funny little story. You ready for this? We come home from church one night. Dad's pastoring, all right? It's right near the end of his pastorate before he became state bishop. I had played bass guitar that night. And I had um, entered my Leonard Skinner phase hmm. of music, okay? I was um, probably fifth, sixth grade, sixth grade probably, all right? And um, I learned walking bass lines listening to Leonard Skinner because um, that guy was, he was the best walking bass guitar player, you know? I mean, the guy... It's what he did. And uh, so dad comes in my room. You know, I'm actually playing. I got the TV on in my room, but the volume's off, and I'm sitting there, and I'm playing a little bass before I go to bed. And uh, dad comes in, he sits down on the floor next to me, and he goes, you know, some of the church people aren't liking that uh, stuff that you're playing, son. I'm like, what? He's like, you know, this, this new walking it up and down the neck and you know, scale stuff that you're doing. And some, some of the older people aren't liking it. I'm like, well, is it bad? And he looks at me and he goes, I'm not telling you it ain't good. I'm just telling you some of the old people don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and he patted me on the head and I never quit. <laughs> he was just letting me know that it wasn't always going to be like, but I mean, that was encouragement, you know, mm-hmm. and my, my dad, music wise, my dad's very conservative, mm-hmm. you know, 
and uh um you know uh but that was that was a big thing from my dad you know he's like uh you're doing good son keep it up you know yeah. you know they ain't always gonna like it but you'll be all right <laughs> oh, that's awesome yeah so good word well this has been fun yeah yeah I'm glad we finally made it happen yeah yeah and uh appreciate you being on here and sharing uh your stories and just sharing your heart and just adding so much to uh to the podcast well i I was thinking this morning they i read a book one time that says the average man in america has seven real friends during the course of his lifetime so when i was getting dressed this morning i was thinking about doing this this thing and i thought about you being a friend and so i said i started counting i think you're number seven so you're the last friend i'm gonna make in my lifetime (laughs) and uh there you go that's an honor <laughs> this is it from here on out. This I'm on it. my own, man. No, <laughs> there's a couple of lifers in there. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, it's been fun, man. I appreciate. It. I appreciate you, the hard work that you do, um, and, and around here, and, and your vision, and and your family, and and uh, I appreciate being able to be the uh, crazy uncle to your kids. Yeah, and, and they love uh, Uncle Chuck. Yeah, and uh, um, I'm glad Bruce was pleased that I didn't blow the car up when you loaned it to me a few yeah. weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, my son, uh, my oldest son, he uh, he's obsessed with cars. It's kind of, it's kind of, uh, I guess I'll end here. It's kind of, uh, it's very impressive to me. We'll be driving, even at night, we'll be driving and like he can tell even by the shape of the headlights or the taillights, he's like, oh, that's a Dodge, Dodge Challenger. And the car will go by, and sure enough, it's a Dodge Challenger. I'm like, how do you know that? And he's like, I just know. And uh, so he's kind of got he's got the eye for cars. And and uh, uh, another another friend of mine, he's been doing some work on my on my car. And uh, so Bruce was out there the other day asking questions, and so he learned how to do a brake job, and yeah, you know, he learned all about what a master cylinder is, and cool all that stuff. So I'm I'm. Gearing up, I told Emma, I said, be ready. We're probably going to have a project car in the driveway in a few years. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> which, coming. Which I'm totally fine with. I'm like, I, he's got that kind of mind. But that's good. I appreciate you, Chuck. I appreciate just our friendship and uh, just over the over the years and through all kinds of stuff. And, yep. and what It's it, been a good ride. Yeah, it's been a good ride. We'll keep on going. Yeah, we'll keep right on rocking, man. There we go. Ain't done yet. Ain't done yet. Well, I appreciate all of you out there in, in uh, Listenerville, if that's a word. Um, for listening today and uh, just being with us. If you haven't subscribed, I want to con- uh, encourage you to do that so you don't miss out on any content. I'm going to be doing a lot more of these uh, collaborative podcasts. I'll do another one with Chuck in the future. I've got other people lined up. Uh, just makes things more fun so you don't have to listen to me the whole time. And um, share this with your friends. And until next time. 